Hello there, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Tonight I have for you the first part of a tale that takes place deep in the swamps of Louisiana. Now, curl up and relax while we take a trip with the O'Mail Tour Company. I've worked for the O'Mail Swamp Tour Company for 32 years now. Once upon a time, the O'Mail family owned this entire town. They had hundreds of acres of sugarcane crops and lived in a big, colorful, creole mansion that sat about a hundred yards away from the swamps. Now, the dwindling descendants of the family run a swamp tour out of the dilapidating remains of that mansion. Most of it had been burned down during the Civil War when the Union Army had set fire to the surrounding sugarcane fields and vegetable gardens. After the war, the family slaves did not return to become sharecroppers as was common. No, they ran far away and had preferred to brave the smoldering sugarcane and risk starving to death rather than stay at the O'Mails, leaving no one but the family, whose skills were limited to ordering around slaves, to try to care for the large home. As the story goes, it wasn't just the cruel treatment from the O'Mail family, but the land itself that drove the slaves away. They claimed something evil lurked in the swamp, something that would steal their children at night and bring disease to all the slave quarters. We're fairly certain now that it was gators that would snatch the children, probably as they played on the water's edge in the cool night air. And all that water breeds mosquitoes, which these days we know carry yellow fever and all kinds of illness. Sometimes I feel wrong for even working here, knowing what went on on this land. I think the O'Males felt the same way. The last direct great-great-great-grandson of the family lives in Mississippi now, and only comes down once a year, or after a severe storm, and even then he gets in and out as fast as he can. William O'Mail VI admitted to me once on one of his brief trips. I tell you what, John, ever since I can remember, feels like this place don't want me here. I get this creepy, crawly feeling in my skin, and I just sign whatever papers need signing and I skedaddle. I can't help it. This damn place must be haunted or something. Ever seen any ghosts here, John? Not a one, I replied. He laughed nervously clapped me on the back and headed out the door to his rental car. I think it was more guilt than ghosts. After all, we were instructed not to mention the atrocities his ancestors committed while they lived here. Like the family wanted to change history to be all marble floors and hoop skirts. No, we couldn't talk about who polished those floors, or who sewed the skirts, and the blood they shed in doing so. On one particularly warm evening in June, I sat filling out expense reports in my office, which had originally been the children's playroom. None of the old furniture was left. It had been replaced by my cheap desk, and sometime in the 1940s an indoor bathroom had been installed. The window unit air conditioner couldn't keep up with the heat, and it certainly did nothing for the humidity. Sweat dripped down my neck and the usual old house smell became almost putrid. 
I decided to take a smoke break out by the dock. The smell was just too awful to sit in. I grabbed my cane and made my way outside to the gravel parking lot. I'm only 58, but I walk like an 82-year-old. I used to be a tour guide, you see, but there was a bad accident. It doesn't matter. I'm not a tour guide anymore, just an office manager with a gimpy leg. I crunched through the gravel to the dock and noticed one of the tour boats was missing. It was late for a tour to still be out, and Cheryl, the lady who books the tours and runs the gift shop, had already gone home. She never left before all the tours were back. That mean old bitch couldn't pass up a chance to slip in her the South Will Rise Again speech to the tourists as they browsed our sad little gift shop. Most of the time they nodded politely, other times they were rightfully offended by the bits of racism she peppered in. She's been warned several times. I would have canned her ass, but William the VI said he just didn't feel right firing a 76-year-old lady, no matter how bad for business she was. I decided to hobble over to the gift shop. It was a converted overseer's cabin. Perfect place for Grand Wizard Cheryl, I suppose. We sold baby alligator heads covered in varnish, alligator teeth, local preserves, pepper jelly, and other useless knickknacks. There was also a small book about the history of the house. I had never read it. I'm sure it was just some sugar-coated bullshit written by one of the O'Males. We kept the CB radio we used to communicate with the tour boats behind the cash register. I picked up the receiver. Boat 3, what is your location? Before I could get an answer, the bell above the door chimed. Someone had walked in. A young woman with curly black hair stood with her back to me. I put the receiver down. Ma'am, did you just get back from the tour? She didn't reply. I walked around the counter to approach her. Ma'am? I then saw that she was soaking wet. Jesus Christ. Not again. Oh God, no. I mentioned I was in an accident. And that was why I didn't do the tours anymore. I guess if we're going to move on with the story, you deserve a little more explanation for any of this to make sense. Although, none of it makes any sense to me to this day. Twenty years ago, I took out a group of about 15 people on a night tour of the swamp we did in late fall. It was sort of a gimmicky thing we did. Tourists like to be spooked, especially down here. It doesn't hurt that the tour starts at an actual old plantation manor that looks straight out of a Vincent Price movie. As the large pontoon tour boat left the dock, I went through my usual spiel where I explained that no, no one actually lives in these swamps. The O'Males still own a lot of the land and charge hunters a fee to use it, and parts have since been sold to other families who do the same. It isn't like the movies where a bunch of inbred rednecks live in shacks just waiting for any unsuspecting lost traveler for them to sodomize or cannibalize or both. That last joke usually got me a mix of tongue clicks and uncomfortable laughs. We eventually arrived at the remnants of the old sugar mill where the family would process their own sugar cane. It had long ago been swept down into the swamp by flooding. All that was left were the sagging bones of a once three-story wooden building, half submerged in the 14-foot deep black water. Sir, 
I heard from the back of the dark boat. I shined my large lantern to see who had a question. My light fell on the beautiful face of a young woman. I never usually took notice of faces on my tours, so I was surprised by the heat that rose in my neck at the beautiful sight of her espresso-colored skin and brown eyes. I realized I was staring and had to shake myself back to reality. Uh, yes, yes ma'am, you have a question? Yeah, you said you that no one lived here, but who's that over there? She pointed. I shined my large flashlight to the woods, next to the ruins of the mill. Through the trees I could barely make out what looked to be a young boy. Standing there, staring. I figured that it was probably some local kid trespassing to hunt on the land. Something I would have to report when we got back, but before I could answer, I heard a shriek from the back of the boat. Y'all, there's more, there's more. A petite blonde woman exclaimed. All the tourists had small flashlights on them that we handed out at the beginning of the trip, so they could try to spot any nocturnal wildlife. They now all had them pointed to the opposite shore. They look like slaves. Did y'all set this up to scare us? Oh, shame on you. It looks so real, said the blonde lady. I... I couldn't answer. I couldn't speak. I couldn't believe my eyes. This had to be a fucking joke. There on the shore were about 30 men, women, and children. They looked to be dressed as slaves. Fifteen small, round beams of light bounced across their faces. They were all staring at us, and they did not look happy to see us. I quickly shined my light to the side of the shore with a sugar mill, where the young woman and I had seen someone in the first place. Sure enough, there were people there too. These weren't slaves, however. I knew who these people were. I had seen their arrogant faces day in and day out for years. They were the O'Males, the same O'Male family members who hung in yellowing portraits around the house, whose faces we sold as postcards and on jars of jam in the gift shop. Amy O'Male and her husband Romald, their six children, even little Nanette, who had died at only six months of yellow fever. The children's husbands and wives and their children, every member of the O'Male family, it seemed including old Vivian O'Mail, the last family member to die in the house in 1976, shortly after her 100th birthday. There was another shriek from the blonde woman and several gasps from everyone else. I swallowed back bile as I watched the parties of the dead on both sides of the swamp begin to descend into the water. They marched like soldiers into the mud and muck of the swamp. Even the O'Male women, hoop skirts and all. Eventually, they all disappeared under the water. My mind was reeling. I was trying to make sense of what I had just seen when... That's when we felt something bump the bottom of the boat. Something huge. I'm sure there was a frenzy in the boat. I'm sure the tourists were panicking. I'm sure they were begging me to do something... I could feel them tugging on my shirt sleeves, but all I could hear was a loud buzzing in my ears. I was going into shock. I went blind for a second, but then I saw those beautiful big brown eyes. Her face was next to mine, crying, saying that this wasn't funny and to make it stop. Some of them still thought it was some sort of trick, 
One man was snapping pictures, laughing at the chaos around him. This motherfucker thought he was at Disneyland. That this was all a setup. That we had animatronic gators and actors dressed as... I dropped my flashlight and heard it roll into the water. The lights on the boat flickered once and then went out. The only light was from a few of the tourists who had managed to hold onto their small flashlights. I yanked one out of someone's hand and leaned over the railing to shine the light in the water. It was too muddy, too full of weeds, I couldn't see shit. I leaned closer, a pale hand shot up at me. I pulled back before it could grab me, but it managed to brush my face. It didn't feel human. It felt waterlogged, like wood, slimy and brittle. It hit again, harder this time, flipping us almost over. We landed back right ways up, but we hit that water hard. I held tight to the railing, but my stomach retched as I heard splashes. Several people had fallen into the water. Even if it wasn't for some army of whatever the hell those things were, I wouldn't wish that onto anyone. If the gators didn't get you, the poisonous snakes, snapping turtles, or weeds wrapping around your ankles would. The boat was slowly being pushed onto its side. I was now curled around one of the bars holding up the shade of the boat. I meant to yell to the others to do the same, to hold on, but the words just kept escaping as less than a whisper from my mouth. What could be doing this? This isn't some little fishing boat, it's a large pontoon boat big enough to sit 25. I had my eyes shut tight as I held on. I couldn't look. I didn't want to see what was going on. I couldn't. As the boat angled sideways, I could feel a clammy breath on my face. It smelled like wet earth and decay. Something was leaning over me as I hung on for dear life, but I didn't open my eyes, even as it stroked my cheek. That was it. We flipped over. I hit my head hard on something metal. Muddy water filled my mouth and nose. I was seeing stars, and I was fighting the urge to close my eyes and just go to sleep. I swam with all my strength to the surface, praying to God I wasn't actually swimming down in my confusion. The water was so dark, and so was the sky. Nothing made sense which way was I going. I felt them grabbing me. I felt those dead things trying to pull me down. Or was it the tourists trying to get me to save them? I couldn't be sure, so I just started kicking. I didn't care. I couldn't let those things get me. I sure as hell didn't want to spend eternity in this godforsaken swamp like they were. The slaves were right. There was an evil here, and I had to get the hell away. I kicked them all off me, and I swam toward the old sugar mill. I knew there was still a road that led back to the house from there. It was overgrown, but I wouldn't come across any quicksand. I got to the muddy shore, and I began to claw my way out of the water. Something grabbed me. I looked down. It was a slave man. His face was gray, and it looked as if algae had begun to grow in his hair. He had a hold of my ankle. I tried to break free, but it was like trying to shake off a bear trap. I looked out toward the flip boat. In the moonlight, I saw a frenzy under the surface of the water that was akin to piranhas feeding. I felt my stomach retch again. I looked back at the man. 
his face solemn. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what happened to you, but please, I'm not one of them. I'm not an O'Male. I'm not whatever made you this way. Please let me go. I have a family. I begged. A wave of anger washed over the man's face. He yanked hard and twisted my leg. With a loud pop, I screamed. I grabbed a large tree root, pulling myself forward at the same time, attempting to free myself, but I only heard more snaps as his grasp held. I screamed and cried like a baby. Snot and blood ran down my face, and I buried it in the mud. I was going to die. This was it. This was when everything went black. They found me the next day. A search and rescue had been sent out an hour after we hadn't returned the night before. It took them so long to find me because I was covered in mud and well disguised against the shoreline. They never found anyone else. I couldn't explain what happened. When I tried, they chalked up my wild stories to my head injury and post-traumatic stress. They took one look at my leg and assumed I had been got by a gator. They never questioned the fact that there were no bite wounds. It was concluded the accident was the result of some sort of natural disaster, something they couldn't explain, but nothing anyone could be faulted for. That sit well with you males since they wouldn't need to distribute any settlement money among the families of the deceased. This was courtesy of the waiver the tourists signed before they boarded the boat that specifically outlined natural disasters as something the company would not be liable for. I was offered a hefty raise, worth much more over time than a settlement would have been, and a promise I never had to go near the swamps again. With a daughter who had dreams of medical school and a son who would be starting college soon after her, I couldn't refuse. Besides my night terrors, I eventually had whole days where I didn't think about the accident. Well, maybe not whole days, but bad times were manageable. And my paychecks gave me and my family a comfortable life. It was the best deal I could ask for after such an ordeal. I had even started to believe that maybe my brain really had just manifested these crazy visions of the walking dead. Until today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you can find out the terrifying ending of the O'Mail Tour Company. If you'd like to submit a story for me to read, feel free to contact me at scareyoutosleep at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram at scareyoutosleep. Good night and sweet dreams. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.